0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan.
1: Hello, and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washed. hope everybody had a great, long holiday weekend, used their grill too much. Drank too many beers or seltzers or whatever your fancy is. I know it was uh, it was a testful weekend for me, Robin. Um, I mean Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then Monday. I mean it was it was uh, it was a grind.
2: Yeah, it was it was a battle of just endurance and attrition. Uh, by the time that uh, the end of Sunday rolled around, that's the thing when the when the holidays like at the end of the weekend. I mean you know everybody's already getting started on Friday, and then you got to keep it going Saturday, and then the real party hits on the fourth. And then you know Monday, some people had work off. I did not do anything Monday. I like barely left my couch, so uh, it was a day of recovery for sure.
1: Yeah, it was a good weekend. Um, A lot of time at the pool, fire uh, fireworks. We had a party at someone's house with a food truck. So we had we had a lot of things going on um, this weekend, um, just um, taking everything in. But one thing, Robin, we don't have answers on right now is the um, the athletic director thing for Nebraska. I think we kind of thought maybe we'd get a better idea on where this was heading. And I don't think we know right now and we're taping for full disclosure, we're taping this on Tuesday because I'm gonna be going on my vacation here um, t- the next day. So the, you know we're, we're taping here early in the w- earlier in the week than we might normally tape. But what we do know right now, at least what we think we believe is Jamie Pollard was obviously offered or at least approached, by Nebraska, and he came out with his stance that he was staying at Iowa State and flattered by um, the attention. And at this point from there, now where does it go? Is it John Cook? Is it Garrett Classy? I mean, is it Matt Davison? I I, I mean, there's so many names, Trev Alberts at UNO, or is it somebody that we don't even know? And that is going to be what Ronnie Green and this committee has to
2: decide what direction they want to take this thing. I get the sense, and I don't know really anything outside of just the the rumors, but the, the longer this plays out, the less likely it's going to be one of those obvious direct tie to the program type people. Because if that was the case, why would they waste their time with this extended national search and leave their athletic department in limbo for as long as they have and potentially could? before making a decision and so I think the longer this plays out the more that that you know, search committee or whatever is going to kind of scour uh the country to, to look for a potential candidate and remember when Bill Moose was hired he was on nobody's radar when, when he ultimately got that job and so I would not rule it out whatsoever that uh all these names that have been thrown out since the start of this search uh, could end up being uh, a completely different direction uh, when they ac- actually make their their hiring here.
1: Yeah, this uh, decision by Ronnie Green and, and the committee, and, and there's this mysterious committee, and you know people I talk to, they, they'll be like, and I spoke to one of the committee members, but I, I don't, we don't know who they are. It's kind of kept in the dark who these mysterious committee members are <laughs> that make up the committee that will decide the athletic director for Nebraska and uh, what direction it goes. And I don't know, I, I still think John Cook... And other than his age, mm-hmm. has a lot going for him. And I think the argument against John Cook people have is like, well, wouldn't we basically be doing the same thing in five years or six years? Because he's, you know, 65 years old and um, very close to retirement. And, and you know, I, I think he has said he wants to coach this group of players through because his freshman class is the best ever, maybe one of the best ever in the history of volleyball coming into Nebraska. But he's making six seventy five. The AD is going to make well over $1-2 million. So it's nearly doubling your salary when you're already essentially the highest paid coach along with Russ Rose in college volleyball right now. So there's there's a lot there to think about. And, you know, if they went the Cook route, that's kind of the Barry Alvarez type of route where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going with the legendary coach, national championship type coach that all the coaches would would like as the AD. Um, Otherwise, you know, you can go to the Trev Alberts route, the classy route, or the, the wild card route that we just don't. You know, know what direction that could be
2: well and again I, I, I agree with you I think it does make a lot of sense in a lot of ways to go John Cook especially if you're going to do the plan where you know you hire John Cook knowing he is not your obviously long-term solution but you have his direct successor in place whether that's Garrett Classy or Matt Davison or, or whoever it may be somebody new they bring in to be groomed for that position uh, I mean that I think makes a lot of sense but if you're going to do that, why not just do it? I mean, I don't understand what the holdup would be, especially for the volleyball program. Don't they need to know who their head coach is going to be? I mean, there's a lot of things that are being left in limbo if that's the way that they're going to go, especially when your potential candidate is literally already employed by the university.
1: It's, to me, it's the committee at this point. That's what it is. I mean, if if Jamie Pollard told Ronnie Green, yes, it's over, he's the AD. And, you know, it's a home run. Ronnie got the the guy that, you know, that they wanted at this point. Now, I don't think it's as simple as that. And that's where this mysterious committee Mm -hmm. that's involved is going to have more of a voice. And you think about previous athletic director searches at Nebraska and, you know, Chancellor uh, Perlman was supposed to have this committee to hire Sean Eichhorst. And there was no committee. No, he was the committee. It was one (laughs) phone call by Perlman to Barry Alvarez. and And he said, I think you should basically hire my old guy that wants to leave Miami because, you know, they had their house broken into and they weren't a very good cultural fit down in Miami. And, you know, I, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, we've been to Miami several times, Robin, can you imagine Sean Eichhorst just walking around South beach?
2: No. And there's no coincidence that they were going up all those like uh, violations. Remember there, they had all those, Nevin those Shapiro. yes, those scandals. So he was clearly looking for something else, but uh long story short there, but like, uh, you know, with, with this, <laughs> this deal, it's I just don't know what uh, prolonging this thing is going to do for Nebraska because, I mean, if you're going to stay in- inside, you should just get it done. But if you're not, then uh, I guess good on them for not rushing into this decision and just hiring somebody just to hire someone because this is such a critical hire in so many ways. And you got to wonder what their pool of candidates might be Given the Scott Frost situation, I mean, it's one of those deals that I think a lot of people might be a little hesitant to jump into, where you have to be the the athletic director that comes in and decides the fate of, uh, you know, maybe one of the more polarizing head coaches Nebraska's had, and uh, maybe since Tom Osborne. And so, you know, that's I think one of those layers to it that um, you got to wonder all these guys that might be interested in the job, how much does that factor into it? And if it is a factor, you know, you got to make sure you do your due diligence and find the right person that is not only willing to take that on but capable of doing it the right way.
1: Well, I think there's also questions about what did Moose's exit really mean? Was it just Ronnie Green wanted to change? Ronnie Green and Moose were at odds that this was a bigger picture thing about maybe future decisions that have to be made that they know bill moose can't make a la scott frost in the football mm-hmm. program, you know, and, and, and that's where, you know, depending on what your thoughts of the program are right now, that's where, you know, different opinions are out there at this point. And what will this next AD be tasked to do and what are they going to be told to do? And so there's so many other things about this that we just don't really have a clear read on. And will they have total control or will Ted Carter and, Ronnie Green have more say so over this athletic director because I, you know, you got the sense in the current hierarchy with Moose, Green and even Carter probably had more of a di- dialogue at times with Frost mm-hmm. than than say Moose. Mm-hmm. And so, how will that be different now going forward with a new idea? That those are things we don't know.
2: Yeah, and you know, again, that's why I think you got to have the person that's willing to to handle that all comes with that. But I will say that despite those maybe things that are deterring people. There's a lot of opportunity at Nebraska. With you know, I mean, the the trajectory of uh, the basketball program under Fred Hoiberg, you know, it seems that things are are really kind of getting close to taking off there. Uh, You know, John Cook obviously has the best volleyball program in the country, uh, one of, uh, and then you know, you just built or got got the ball rolling on a 155 million dollar football facility that's going to give you some of the best facilities in the country and so you know and you're also got a a staff that's already paving the way in maybe one of the most important uh changes in collegiate athletics with the name image likeness stuff so i mean i think that there's a lot of positives that could draw really top level candidates to this job it's just a matter of do they want to handle all that comes with it at nebraska specifically and are they capable of handling it
1: well we got a full show on tap and our next segment i'm going to actually bring in a guest uh, Brendan Frankie, Nebraska's newest kicker addition, um, will join as a walk-on. And you know, usually you wouldn't bring a guy on like this, but he's got a chance to be the kickoff specialist for Nebraska at Illinois here in a couple of months. And, I, and he's a really entertaining guy to talk to. I, I think you'll enjoy. Uh, Just hearing Brendan talk and kind of his passion for Nebraska and and what he's going to bring to the table. So we'll hear from Brendan Frankie. We'll hear from Brian Munson later in the show uh, talking recruiting. We'll talk basketball as well as some ranking the Big Ten. That's all on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the
1: Husker Online show. Sean Callahan As this segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Tanner's Bar and Grill. It's been a big week for Tanner's. As you know, they're the title sponsor as well as Off Court with Trey and Bryce McGowan is also a part of the Husker Online channel here. So make sure you subscribe to both the Husker Online show and Off Court. But wanted to bring in um, a guest here, uh, somebody I think you're going to enjoy hearing his story and talking to um, Brendan Frankie, former Gretna product, kicked this past year at Morningside. And we talked all about these private workouts Nebraska did over the month of June. And I wanted to bring Brendan on because... Um, he is going to be joining Nebraska's team now, and there's a fairly decent chance we could see Brendan kicking for Nebraska, at least on kickoffs in the game here, um, almost 50 days away at Illinois. So first of all, Brendan, uh, congratulations on getting things wrapped up, and I know um, you've got to be excited to get the chance now to, to, to compete for this job at Nebraska.
3: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, working hard to get here, and I'm glad to finally be here, and you know, hopefully I can do something good for the team.
1: Yeah, what, uh, what was it like? First of all, you, you played at Morningside, um, very good NAIA program, one of the top five NAIA teams in the country, um, had a good year down there. What drew you to pull out of there and go after this opportunity at Nebraska? Uh,
3: you see, I was, uh, I've I, I, always been a good, like, uh, I was, it was always a dream of mine to play for Nebraska, obviously, as any kid from Nebraska who plays football would tell you. But uh, it was, when I got a call after I had been released, I was going to go play soccer over at Bellevue University. And I actually, uh, I got a call from one of my old coaches saying that, uh, I could get a tryout with them. And cause he had showed him some of my film from when I was in college and whatnot. And so then he showed him my film and then, uh, he reached out to me and said, Hey, they want to have, uh, they want to have you out for a tryout. And I was like, well, that's awesome. Like, absolutely. And I jumped right on that opportunity. And then I think my tryout ended up being june 11th it took a while to get the paperwork and stuff done for it but it was super out of the blue and super welcomed
1: yeah yeah so what was that tryout like and i i know um, when we talked way back when i think immediately scott frost stopped and walked back and, and and wanted to see more of what you had to offer and thinks there's a chance that you could help this team out in 2021
3: yeah so uh it- started like any other visit would go you know you got your tour of like the main facility and whatnot you walk past the stadium you look inside all that good stuff did some ortho stuff to make sure i didn't have any underlying injuries or anything like that or anything they can be concerned about then uh later on it, we were there for a couple hours before we finally got out to the to the field and we ended up cooking inside kicking inside the cook stadium because uh, of how bad the weather was that day just dreadful weather uh, and then uh, we went out into the stadium, we had a little warm-up, and then we, we started getting going, and I met Scott, and you know, uh, I, was, I was a little nervous at first, I'm not going to lie, but uh, he walked up to me and made me feel welcome, and I could tell he was really a player's coach, he's super,
1: super likable, super easy to talk to, and just made me feel at home right
3: away.
4: Yeah,
1: and you're not built like a normal kicker. I mean, I know you have a soccer background, but I've seen pictures of you. How big are you? And I mean, do you like to be lumped in as a kicker or do you kind of feel like you're an athlete that kicks?
3: Uh, I like to, you know, I don't mind uh, any of the things people say to me at the end of the day because, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm a kicker and that's who I am. But being a 6'3", 240 kicker, uh, it's just not something you really see every day. We're going to try our best to, Uh, I actually want to talk to the dietitian and stuff about getting me cut down a little bit, but uh, I still want to be one of the bigger kickers out there—somebody that a returner wouldn't want to have to run into, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, and you—you've watched Nebraska. Obviously, you grew up a Husker fan. I mean, I I, I know it's going to be a battle. There's a lot of guys battling with you for this kickoff special spot. Connor Culp returns as the uh, field goal guy, all Big Ten kicker, but um, that—that spot's wide open. I mean, what do you think you bring to the table? as you kind of look at the, the situation you're walking into.
3: Yeah. Meeting all the guys like they're, every kicker here is they're, they're, they're talented. They got what it takes, but it's just, uh, I think that, you know, I can bring in a stronger leg and, you know, uh, just a confident mindset and a positive mindset to the team and to the special teams unit that I feel like there just hasn't been there in the last couple of years, especially with uh, the statistics that I've seen with uh, how many returns there are and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can change that statistic from uh, from being one of the mediocre teams and special teams unit to being one of the best in the in the nation, not just
1: the conference. We're talking to Brendan Frankie, Nebraska's newest kicker addition. He's from Gretna originally. Played his first year though at Morningside before transferring to Nebraska. He'll be joining the team here uh, for fall camp in August. Brendan, um, give us an idea of your numbers. I mean, how far do you kick it? Uh, I've seen some of your your trick shots or whatever you want to call them on Twitter. You have some pretty good videos out there. But um, give me an idea of of, of just kind of the numbers and accuracy and length that you have on some of these kicks. Yeah, so uh,
3: kickoffs, like I can can put it through the end zone just about every time given I don't have like a really strong wind in my face and whatnot. But uh, field goals and stuff like that, I've got like my personal best with obviously no line or anything uh, is a 70-yard field goal. And I kicked that the summer after my junior year of high school. And then uh, when I was kicking in front of the coaches at my tryout, I actually hit from 63. Well, I hit uh, 46, 52, and 63 in front of the coaches uh, at my tryout. And I kicked uh, three of my five uh, through the back of the end zone with no problem. So it's, uh, it's the biggest thing that I want to work on is making sure I can keep that length consistent. And I think that I can bring accuracy from range to the table as well. Which is something that I feel like is a little harder to find uh, nowadays. Because I know, I know we got some dead eyes in there from 45 and in, but I'd love to be that guy from 45 and out. Well,
1: and you you fell under the radar in high school mainly because your team didn't score a lot of points, um, so nobody really got to see you kick off much in high school. Um, I mean, in, in, yeah. it's interesting just in that sense. Um, you know, I mean, why, is that why you think you, nobody really knew about your abilities? And obviously you joined the football program later in your high school career as well, right? Yeah. So, uh,
3: I only played a year and a half of high school football. Uh, my junior year I was sitting at the cafeteria one day and a couple of the guys came up to me and it wasn't, Hey, do you want to go out for the team? It was, Hey, you're going to go out for the football team. And you're, I was not in any physical shape to say no. So I ended up going out and, uh, You know, we were in those two rebuilding years where we got bumped up to Class A, and, you know, nobody expects us to be too good coming out of the game to Class A. If you just look at where Gretna is now in that third year, they're a pretty stellar program right now. But we went three and six both years. Uh, There were games where I only kicked off the first kickoff, and that was it. And then I just watched the rest of the game like a spectator. But uh, it it was hard to get looks at that point, which is why I did a camp here and there when I could. But with how competitive soccer was, I didn't get out to as many camps as I probably should have. But at the end of the day, it worked out really well. I mean, if we look where I am now, I'm, I'm honestly super grateful for the opportunity I was given. And I'm just happy that I was able to seize it.
1: We got a lot of listeners here around the state. We're picked up on a lot of affiliates. I, I remember you telling me you're an avid outdoorsman too, right? Are you a big hunter, fisherman, uh, kind of fit the culture here in, in Nebraska?
3: Yes, sir. I am a big outdoorsman. I keep uh, I keep my fishing rods in the back of my pickup at all times. Uh, I go pheasant hunting every fall. Goose hunting. I just got into goose hunting, which I really enjoy. I love deer hunting, hunting, fishing. Loving every day. You know, that's just kind of the way I like to live. And you know, I. Wear my I wear my boots every chance I get because that's just kind of who I am, and I tell you what, boots are the most comfortable shoes you'll ever wear if you get into them.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, one of the bye weeks for Nebraska this year is uh, opening deer season weekend, so it's gonna it's gonna time out just nice for uh, right for you in November there.
3: That's what I'm saying. Everything seems to be working out in my favor, and I'm I'm loving it. <laughs>
1: Well, Brendan, uh, congratulations. I know you're excited to get down to Lincoln and, and see what you can do in this competition. I know um, it's far from over, but I, a lot of people are going to be watching to see if, if you can come out on top and, and win that job uh, to handle kickoffs here for that season opener.
3: Absolutely. I hope to be out there and I uh, I hope to make the all the fans out there in Nebraska proud and all the ones out of state, you know, I think we do have the best fan base and in the country we have the most loyal base that's for sure just the numbers of the stadium show that and i look forward to uh, hopefully being able to contribute to the team in a really big way this season
1: well much more to come here thanks again to brendan Frankie. you're listening to the husker online
0: show you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics and welcome back here to the
1: Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan and Robin Washet as uh, talking Nebraska basketball. Thanks again to Brendan Frankie, uh, Nebraska's latest kicker addition that joined the team. As um, I think he's going to really add something to this program here and have a chance to win that job and, and then be the guy to Illinois. But Robin, I want to talk basketball. A few things right away to get to number one: Delano Banton. I think a couple of months ago when he put his name in, most of us were just like, you know, mm-hmm. okay. Normal process. Mm-hmm. I don't think we thought we'd be here today in, in mid early July where he's going to go now to the, the draft. What's your read? I mean, is he going to get drafted or is he just doing this to get a great opportunity in the G League or, or what, what? what's the the play here for Delano Banton?
2: So to his credit, so the, here's the, here's kind of the timeline of how this all happened. He uh, put his name into the or t- t- testing the draft waters, which if you're even like a borderline prospect and you don't do that, you're robbing yourself of a, a free opportunity. So you know, it was a kind of a no brainer that he would at least just try, see what it is. And, uh, you know, went through, he didn't get an invite to the combine. He didn't get an invite to the G league elite camp. Well, One player like on the day or two before the G League elite camp um, that was originally supposed to participate got hurt and so a spot opened up and so Delano ended up getting that last final spot at the 11th hour uh, and uh, you know made his way to that camp and it turns out had one of the best individual performances throughout the course of that event uh, as anyone. And they play like four games and he led the the camp in rebounding and assists and had a, a game where he had, you know, like eight points, 13 rebounds, six assists, a couple blocks, you know, kind of did the things that made him such an intriguing player when he finally made his debut at Nebraska last year for that, that first, you know, 10 or so games of the season where he was playing at a really high level uh, you know, especially statistically. So, uh, you know, that kind of put his name back on the the board a little bit as far as being a potential draft prospect. But, you know, there's players out of that G League camp that went on to get invites to the actual combine, and that really shows if you're in the combine, you have a extremely high chance of getting drafted. Well, Delano did not get that. So right now, at best, he is very much a fringe late second rounder that – You know, that that might be uh, being a little generous, too. I I would personally would be surprised if he got drafted right now, but that being said, the G League is a completely different entity than it was even five years ago to where, you know, it was kind of where, you know, college graduate cast-offs that weren't good enough to make the league went and play. Well, now you're getting, like, elite-level high school recruits that don't want to go to college, like one-and-done type players that just skip college altogether and go to the G League. And you're getting guys that are fringe draft picks that uh, are playing there. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent there and that's become a league that is a very viable option for players that are kind of in that gray area of being a potential draft prospect. So that I think seems like a lot more realistic of a scenario for Delano where he could get a G league contract and potentially play his way into a two-way deal where he could swing up uh, on an NBA roster at some point this season, and you know maybe just see where it goes from there. But you know right now, I just don't see it. I, I think his shooting isn't near good enough to be a draft prospect right now. Um, that's kind of the one big concern about him. Uh, but I think there's a st- certainly a lot to like, and he's going to have a shot to play at the next level in some capacity.
1: We're talking Nebraska basketball with Robin Washat. What does that do to the Robin Washat starting five for the Nebraska basketball season? How do you reshuffle the pieces?
2: for this lineup. Well, that's the big question now because you know when they wrapped up their 21 recruiting class or so we thought, uh the one thing you noticed was there wasn't a true point guard in that group. They had, you know, guys that could play the point, uh but not that one true facilitator quarterback on the court type guy and you know Delano was going to be given the keys to once again be their primary point. And I know a lot of people had, you know, their varying opinions on how he handled that role last year, but Nebraska was going to trust him to be their guy once again this year, and now he's out of the picture. So, who do they turn to? Well, I mean, the, the immediate answers are Trey McGowan's, who played some point uh, last year, especially towards the back end of the season uh, when Delano was taken out of the starting lineup. Uh, Kobe Webster can play some point. Karan um, McPherson uh, can play some point. Bryce McGowan's can play some point. He, he did so in high school and in AAU, so he has that ability to, to bring the ball up. Uh, so, I mean, I think they have guys that are options at that spot, but you know, they, they have two scholarships available and they have opportunities to potentially hit the transfer portal to get someone that can be more of a true number one point guard. And, you know, there's some names that have floated around there. Uh, as of taping, uh, there hasn't been any announcements yet, but by the end of the week, there could be an answer that surfaces on that with a potential new addition. And that could change this whole conversation. So, I'll hold off on that, and if they bring somebody in, they're probably going to potentially be a starter. So keep that in mind when I'm giving you this starting lineup. Right now, I would say your starting five in in no position order are Trey McGowns, Bryce McGowns, Latman, Derek Walker for sure. And then that fifth spot, you know, you could go Kobe Webster. You could go C.J. Wilcher. um, Those are probably my top candidates right now, but again, if they were to add someone, which they very well could uh, by the end of this week, uh, that player could very likely work his way into the starting lineup from day one.
1: All right, Robin, the official non-conference schedule out. I mean, you pretty much knew 99% of what was out there, um, but let the fans really know kind of what the final pieces look like on this non-conference schedule in terms of dates and kind of how it's all laid out.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we've kind of just reported these as they've come about uh, over the last few weeks, but now it's finally put in place. And, you know, it, honestly, I, I think it's like about as good of a non conference slate as you could assemble given the state of, of where Nebraska's program is. And I, what I mean by that is uh, they start off with what I think their first seven regular season games are at home at Pinnacle Bank Arena. So talk about a way to really ease into it and not have to go play a true road game until December 1st. So that in itself is beneficial. Um, and then they have winnable games out of the gate. I mean, outside of that, that Creighton game on November 15, 16th, uh, that's going to be part of the Gavit games, you know, they're, they're all basically by games that Nebraska should win. So, I mean, realistically, you're looking at potentially 6-1, and 7-0 and going into December. And then on top of that, you get to play two exhibition games, which Nebraska did not have the luxury of doing last year because of COVID. And so they get a, a nice little in-state tester against, uh, you know, Peru State to just kind of. Get, get their feet under them. And then four days later on Halloween, Colorado comes to town for a charity exhibition game. And I love every bit of this idea. Not just the fact that it's Colorado, but the idea of turning what was essentially the secret scrimmage, then closed scrimmage uh game against a high major opponent. Well they're turning that into an exhibition game and you're playing it in front of fans to where you get an actual game experience and get uh you know your players the opportunity to play in front of a crowd against a high major opponent with zero consequence towards your record. So a great opportunity to see where they are and what they need to improve on going into the regular season. And then, you know, once December flips on the calendar Things are going to get for real for them. Uh, They're going to North Carolina State on December 1st for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And then uh, keep in mind that the Big Ten is going to play those two early December um, conference games. And so between December 1st and December 19th, they're going to play one, two, three, four, five high major opponents between North Carolina State. Then they're playing a neutral site game uh, in Atlanta against Auburn, uh, which is a, a potential top 15 level team and then they're hosting kansas state on december 19th so you get this balance of winnable games at home right out of the gate uh for the for basically the month of november then you flip the calendar and you get resume building opportunities you know going and playing a true road game at NC state a neutral site game against auburn and then hosting kansas state and that's i think a perfect balance to where you are preparing yourself uh to kind of get Everything figured out before the level of difficulty ticks up in a major way uh, after the first month.
1: What is, I mean, if you were to rank the most difficult game of that non conference slate, who is it? I mean, because I feel like you could go different directions with that. I'd say Auburn. I mean, they're. Then Creighton, or would you say Auburn's NC State? Auburn's really good. Yeah, I mean. Because K State was. Kansas State was pretty bad last
2: yeah, year. Yeah, I would put NC State above Kansas State for sure. Now, the, the issue with Creighton is. You know, they lost pretty much everybody from a year ago, and they're playing that game. This is probably the most important part of it all on November 16th. Usually, that game is in early December, to where both teams have a a month to kind of form themselves as a team. Well, you're talking about a brand new Creighton roster that is going to be playing their second or third game on the road. At Pinnacle Bank Arena in like one of the most hornet's nest environments you're going to possibly see. So uh, that's going to be a tough game for Creighton. And they were able to bring in a top 10, top five level recruiting class. Uh, So there's no shortage of talent, but they're all young and they haven't played together. So that's where I would kind of put a question mark on that. So for me, it's Auburn. I mean, they are – you can make an argument they're a top-ten team right now. Uh, And then, you know, you're playing that in Atlanta, which is essentially right in Auburn's backyard. So that's going to be a heavy Auburn crowd there. So it's a neutral site, but it's not. Uh, And then with Kansas State, you know, they're they're a program that has kind of gone through it a little bit over the last year or two that uh, I think Nebraska should be favored in that game.
1: All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to shift the discussion back over to football as Rob and I are going to get into some of the ranking, the big 10 that we've released here on Husker online. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker online show.
0: This is Husker online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker online show. It's ranking the big 10 time on Husker online. It's a tradition, unlike anything else, Robin, as we've been doing it for a while. And I'm always amazed, like how many people view those content items, like the stuff, you know, you, it's a pretty simple concept. It gets huge view numbers from people around the conference and on Husker online. Cause I just think naturally at this time of the year, you just want to know, okay, who are the best players at positions in the conference? And um, you know, we, we started out with our quarterback and I I think we, I, I would say upset some Husker fans, but they didn't agree that we had Adrian Martinez as the third best quarterback in the conference to start things out. And Michael Penix is the clear number one going in. I mean, he's the preseason player of the year um, for the big 10 right now. I mean, you can make that case. Um, But after, after that, um, you know, there's, you know, it's wide open and you look at just who some of those other quarterbacks are on that list. Obviously Tanner Morgan uh, cracked in at number four. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different names you can go with, but, you know Martinez played better last year Robin than than people want to give him credit for I mean he went 5 games in a row without a without an interception until that that game at Rutgers
2: well I mean just look at the rest of the list I mean you got obviously Michael Penix Jr he is far and away the best quarterback in the Big 10 and one of the best in, in the country at this point so that was a no-brainer but after that Like you said, uh, it's anyone's guess. And so we put CJ Stroud, the Ohio State uh, freshman, redshirt freshman, that basically, you know, he's the next. The, the next, next Ohio guy. State quarterback. And when you're the Ohio State quarterback, you're going to be really, really good, break a bunch of records, throw for a ton of touchdowns. It's just the way it is. That's, that's what Ohio State is right now. So kind of by default, he gets put into that role. Uh, and, you know, all reports from people we've talked to at Ohio State says he's been nothing shy of, of what they've expected. So so then Adrian comes in at three and I know that people want to kind of scoff at him. And yes, he's had plenty of struggles, particularly with turnovers and uh, inconsistency, just a passing efficiency and, and all that stuff. But you know, the, the numbers aren't as bad as I think people want to believe, especially with the way he turned around last season after getting benched. I mean, he came back and actually played good football. And a lot of that had to do with kind of the offense figuring itself out a little bit. They condensed the receiving core rotation. They actually got, a little bit more out of their running game and uh you know i think adrian really benefited from that from just kind of settling down and simplifying things and so as a result you're talking about a fourth year starter who i mean everyone has seen the flashes of what he can be when he's on it's just the fact that he hasn't ever been able to do it for a full season for injury or whatever so i mean we're kind of putting him there on that potential and maybe still holding out hope blindly or not that this is finally going to be the year where the Adrian we thought we were going to see since the end of 2018 finally shows up. And if he is, he has every right to that claim as a top three quarterback in the league.
1: Well, and his grade last year by pro football focus. And I know some people agree or disagree with these rankings, but it's a third party unbiased ranking system. It was his highest grade he's had. Uh, But I think that just tells you the level of expectation there is for Martinez. I mean, people even want more than what he showed because, he gave you those flashes as a freshman. I mean, I just remember the Illinois game and the Minnesota game. I mean, how cold those games were, and how well he threw the ball in the wind. Mm-hmm. We just haven't seen that game, and that's what it's going to take. Um, rounding out quarterback, though, you know we had uh, Sean Clifford at five, and you know that's one where he maybe could have went Graham Mertz, but the the data and the numbers for Mertz, other than the yeah. opening game of the year, did not really. I mean, it'd just be more of a reputation rating versus based on
2: numbers. Yeah, I mean, he played, what, seven games? Had not one, even. Not even, yeah, and he had one really good one. And outside of that, and you know, <laughs> he was he did it against Illinois. You know, they ended up firing their coaching staff. So, yeah, I I think that we gave Clifford the, the nod just because he's had a bigger sample size and more production at this level than Graham. But, you know, again, it's one of those deals where you could probably make a pretty strong case for – Really, any spot three on down the list. All right, running back. um, You know, pretty easy right here.
1: Mo Ibrahim back as a thousand yard running back for Minnesota in a very shortened season. I mean, he put up by far the most production last year: 215 carries in only seven games for the Gophers. Um, And then Tyler Goodson um, from Iowa. I mean, those are everyone's got those guys one two in the conference. Then after that, Master Teague at Ohio State. Cam Porter at, at Northwestern, I think he's going to be a guy that could have a really big year, essentially cause three running backs from Northwestern to enter the transfer portal, Robin. Then Hass- Hassan Haskins from Michigan made our list at number five as, as we talk about the running backs.
2: Yeah, with Teague, he's interesting because, you know, again, it's one of those positions at Ohio State where there's always a borderline Heisman Trophy contender coming up the ranks, and so right now he – He looks to be the guy, and he's, again, shown plenty of flashes during his opportunities. He got hurt uh, at the beginning of last year, and that allowed Trey Sermon to kind of take that job over as a transfer from Oklahoma, but if healthy... I mean, he's going to be, to start the year, Ohio State's number one running back. And again, by default, that's going to put him in a position to put up a bunch of numbers and score a bunch of touchdowns. But after that, yeah, Cam Porter, he's a sneaky, sneaky player. You know, like I said, 353 yards. But he chased out a couple of veterans that were ahead of him on the depth chart that, uh, you know, eventually led to their transfer and kind of planted himself as the number one back uh, over the course of this offseason. And as we know... Northwestern likes to run the ball. And if you're an effective physical running back in Pat Fitzgerald's offense, you're going to get some production. And then lastly Haskins, you know, he's a guy that we'll see kind of where he is. You know, he's he's a borderline type player, but he's going to be the, probably the most consistent piece to a Michigan offense that has a lot of questions to answer, and so I think just out of durability, consistency, and knowing what you're going to get out of him, he's probably the safest bet on that offense.
1: And then, Robin, um, moving on to the receiver position now, as, as we talk offensive guys here, um, you know, a lot, a lot of talent coming back in this league, but a lot of guys left um, as well at the wide receiver position. Chris Olave, though, back at Ohio State. I mean, he's no brainer. He, he's a no brainer. Um, you know, as far as where he's going to be looked at in the next level, um, Johan Dotson, probably the best slot-type guy, all-purpose guy in the league. He's Out our num- State. He's our number two from Penn State. David Bell at Purdue, very good number three. Um, and, and, you know, he had the ability to be a number one, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, but just didn't have the team around him. And then another Ohio State guy, Garrett Wilson, who, I mean, Olave and Wilson, it feels like they have been there forever.
2: I know. And it's funny because you talk, like, I was asking our Ohio State guy during uh, uh, Kevin Noon during our spring recaps and, you know, ask who's your offensive star. It's got to be Olave, right? He's like, well, it's either him or Garrett Wilson. So, I mean, you're talking about uh, two of the best players on Ohio State's offense are at the same position. So, I mean, what a spoil of riches they have there. But And then, you know, I think this also speaks to, how good the wide receiver class is in the big 10 this year, where you have two guys like that. David Bell is a first round draft pick, you know, and and Dotson uh, probably doesn't get talked about nearly enough for as as good as he is. And then at fifth with Ty Freifogel out of Indiana, he's the reigning big 10 wide receiver of the year. So, I mean, like talk about a loaded position group that, uh, you know, you want to look at some of the best playmakers in this conference, no, no further than wide receiver.
1: Yeah. Then um, Ty, uh, ty Freifogel from indiana was number five on the list so um and and some people questioned could samori Tori have been on there and, and based on what he did at montana and yeah maybe so but i think we we agreed that these five have proven it at the big ten level and you know it would have been pretty hard to put Tori on there he didn't even play yeah a 2020 season and then lastly robin a very strong position in the big ten always is tied in Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin, number one, the grandson of Barry Alvarez. His father played at Nebraska um, as well back in the day. Um, Sam Laporta, who um, was a high school teammate of Tanner Farmer's, or same high school at least of Tanner Farmer, wanted to come to Nebraska, never came. He was going to go to the MAC, um, then gets a late Iowa offer, and what do you know, he's now the number two tight end in the Big Ten. Um, That Iowa tight end magic wand. But Austin Allen, number three for Nebraska, and you know we we looked at the numbers and this is where he falls i mean he he has a the potential to have a great year J, jeremy ruckert ohio state number four and then peyton hendershot from indiana so those are our five tight ends
2: yeah with austin allen uh people say well he has one career touchdown catch and uh look at his blocking grades are terrible well he has the opportunity to be a potential NFL wide receiver, being six foot eight, and some of the flashes he's shown uh, playing in the slot and off the edge, if he can improve that blocking, he's got a chance to really elevate his stock.
1: All right, well, that wraps it up here. When we come back, um, I'm going to bring in Brian Munson. We're going to talk some recruiting next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the final segment
1: of this week's Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan uh, joined by Brian Munson, who took a few minutes on his vacation. Brian, where are you right now exactly? We are literally sitting here during <laughs> an active eruption of Old Faithful in Yellowstone Park. <laughs> so this is like a full-fledged, and I'm going on my vacation with my family here this week, too. So we're just trying to get everything done and, and um, keep our listeners up to date on uh, on what we know and Um, appreciate you taking the time, Brian, because I know obviously, um, you're, you're getting away with the family, but let's get right to it. James Mons, the third picks Indiana. And, you know, I'll be honest. I think we all kind of were just making an educated guess. We assumed that he was going to pick Nebraska. Um, he was a loose legacy, if you want to call it a great uncle that played for Nebraska, but he had connections to other programs, but just based on the tea leaves of the pictures and the response from the visit, it felt like Nebraska was the team to beat. That obviously changed. He picks Indiana. How did you read that situation with James Mons third?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, before we even took off on the vacation, I was calling him, trying to get kind of a read on um, which way he may be leading. And, you know, we like to do our stories a little bit ahead of time so that way we, we can at least get some work out of the way but we have a way of kind of then guiding conversation. He was not giving us any type, of, uh, any type of guidance one way or another about which way he was going. In fact, I think I was calling him on Friday or Thursday, and I think he had told me his mind wasn't even made up yet. So I have to admit, I think you and I spoke later on that night and I said, Uh, I'm not sure I've got as good a feeling about this one as as what I once did because typically at that point you get a kid, they say, it's going to be Nebraska, let's just talk on Friday or let's talk on Saturday or whatever. This was not going that way at all. Um, This is a fairly significant loss. Um, And the reason why I say that is, is obviously Monza is a a heck of a talent. Um, I I think that he's one of just a few guys that Nebraska really has – uh had ties to or really targeting from the state of florida and i think that nebraska they're not they they maybe made a shift from south florida to northern florida or central florida or however you want to kind of uh uh, describe that or, or categorize that but they don't have very many guys remaining basically from the sunshine state you know that are that they're looking at so um This is a big one. I I think the legacy thing was always a bit of a stretch just because, you know, it wasn't really his dad. Um, But this was a big one I think Nebraska's got to find a way to recover from.
1: And, you know, Brian, the way it looks right now, they're going to take three defensive backs, one corner, one safety, and kind of one flex guy. I mean, how do you see the numbers right now in the defensive backfield? And they currently obviously don't have any commits there at this point.
4: Yeah, and and that's where – we, we're, we've been taking some kind of like reading of the tea leaves, the number of visitors they've got coming in and the number of guys that, that, that are out there. I, I think that it is it is just that. I think that they're looking for maybe a guy that's a little bit more suitable as a corner, like looking at like Avery Powell. That's not a guy that we're going to sit there and say, well, he's the kind of guy that can roll to safety. No, he's 5'9", 5'10 at best. So that's not going to be like your traditional type of, a uh, guy that can do <clears throat> multiple spots in the secondary um, could Marquise Williams potentially? Could Mangum potentially? Uh, there's definitely there's definitely some things you know that I I, I think that people need to kind of watch when it comes to that. You look at the, and Nathan Nathan Vale. Nathan Vale really isn't a guy that I think to me screams that he, he has the ability to play corner. Could he play nickel? Possibly, but I think you're now looking at a little bit more. Um, one or two specialized guys and a couple more guys that I feel like could play a couple of different spots. And that's really what Nebraska I think was kind of looking for because you come back to the size of this class, you come back to the needs of the, needs of the class, needs of the team. Um, I think they're really looking for one corner, one safety and one guy to kind of get them back there and go, He is a special athlete, and we think he could do a couple different things for us. We need to figure out what he does best and where he figures into the picture the first.
1: We're talking recruiting with Brian Munson here on the Husker Online Show. Brian, a total of five names have now come off the board for Nebraska of the 20 that visited. And that's not counting guys that have already committed to the big red. So I'm going to run through the names that have come off the board, running back. Justin Williams commits to West Virginia. As we know, Nebraska went with Avery pa- or not Avery Powell, excuse me. Um, they went with Ashton Hayes at the running back position um, in the class and filled that spot. Ashton Craig, took the Notre Dame offer that came in, and he picked Notre Dame over Nebraska. He was one of the key early names on that board. Nico Dav- uh, Davier went to Arkansas, uh, in-state kids stayed home at that point. And then Landon Sampson uh, to South Carolina, and as I already mentioned, um, Mons to Indiana. But Sampson to South Carolina, that one was a surprise, but it, it did feel like things shut off with Nebraska, at least from us. Like We, we couldn't get anything really from Sampson after your initial visit interview from him.
4: Yeah, and that was a really strange one because <clears throat> I don't want to sit here and tell you that my son played against him, but we we talked a lot about 7-on-7, seven seven, the area the area teams. Um, we had a lot of things kind of in common. We had people that we, that we knew you know, through other connections. We talked about the SMU 7-on-7 seven seven camp a, a year before. Um, he was going to Ohio State. I told him when he saw Jackson Smith and Jigba to tell him at the Munson said hello so we we had i had this kind of personal connection to him and he shut it down he he was not he was not playing the game it just seemed to kind of go like you said a different direction like ever since he got home from ever since he took off to that trip from ohio state and then picked up the south carolina offer everything just the whole the whole tone just changed with him in the
1: recruitment and- I don't know. I mean, he just does it. I've seen South Carolina play many. He doesn't strike me as a South Carolina style of receiver. I mean, typically they have bigger body type guys um, out there. So that was an interesting one to see a kid from Texas go to South Carolina, especially with how hard. Yeah. And and so that one did catch me by surprise, but they do have their two receivers. It's not like that's a position where they're down in the hole. But, you know, in general, we had our chat on Tuesday, Brian, and. Yeah, you know, with seven commits, it, it it doesn't feel like Nebraska is on par. And I, the best way I describe this class right now is, I think we thought they'd be at nine or ten. They're at seven, so they've they've kind of had a couple bogeys on their scorecard, and and that mm-hmm. you know, and when you're only going to take thirteen or fourteen, um, that's not a lot of room for bogeys. So I think that's if I were to kind of gauge the, the the fan base right now and where things are at, that's my view at least on this recruiting class. I think that
4: that's that's a pretty good summary. Um, I think that there's a couple guys that they wished that they would have been able to to get into the class um, that have committed elsewhere. I think Craig was a huge loss. I think that that offensive line uh, part of the class is still struggling to find an identity. I think the defensive line of the class is as well, but I think we all agree that Nico was kind of a... He was kind of uh, nice to get him to take an official visit, and, and, and basically, if you can do anything positive there to get him thinking about Nebraska and maybe even pull the trigger for him, then that's great. But I wouldn't have expected it. Um, Other than that, now you're still looking in the secondary. Uh, You know, there's a few spots on the offensive side of the football that look good, but offensive line still is kind of, you know, struggling to kind of find that, find those first couple guys to get in. And, And I think there, you know, you're looking more still, I think, interior, uh, I think is still kind of the 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 theme that we're that we're getting from talking to the guys that, about where you know Nebraska kind of sees them playing Erickson, Pastore, they they all kind of talked about you know playing either center or all five spots or starting out at guard and maybe swinging out. So I I think that there's I think obviously Nebraska wishes they could get a couple of those guys back and get them into the class, but I think um, you know you're also looking at Halfway there, you didn't want to ever rush this thing. You, you, there's just there's just no way you can take the wrong guy this year with the number that you're at when it comes to the total size of this class. And I, I think they've done a good job bringing in the right official visitors. I don't think they don't think they've done a great job getting those guys to commit to them for whatever reason it is.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting, Brian, um, as things still are in the dead period. So there's not going to be a lot of activity. Um, from now until the end of the month, you might see a commit pop. But we really appreciate, Brian, you taking some time away on the vacation, and and we'll definitely be catching up with you next week.
4: It sounds great.
1: All right. Well, much more to come. As uh, Make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com, as we'll keep you up to date with the latest.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.